Heavenly Father, we bring before you those in our world who suffer as a result of conflict even still this day. We think of the images that still appear on our news channels, papers, and social media of the consequences of war and fighting. We think of the poor, the weak, and the young and marginalized who are often most severely impacted by war. And God, we ask that you give us peace. Gracious God, we bring before you all those members of our armed forces who are in danger this day, who head into conflict and battle knowing the dangerous situations that they are entering. Protect them, we pray. Father, we thank you for those who have laid down their lives, for those who have gone before us, who have given their lives for our freedom. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that so, um, so many have made, or that we can know freedom and peace. Help us to pursue peace, we pray. Help us to be peacemakers, for Lord, those are the ones that you look for. Blessed are those who are the peacemakers you say, O oh Lord. Help us to be people like that. And Lord, as we remember in our act of remembrance, would your peace reign in our hearts. Lord, be with us now as we move to our act of remembrance. defend our island, whatever the cross may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender. Men will still say, this was their final power. I'm not allowed to say how many planes joined the raid, but I counted them all out, and I counted them all back. Five, four, three, two, one, fire! Since the end of the Second World War, over 16,000 men and women of the armed services have had their names added to the Roll of Honor. Would the congregation please stand? They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them.
And Lord, we long for the day where the lion will lie down with the lamb. And peace is our norm. And fighting and war is no more. But in this world, Lord, where war and rumors of war continue, help us to follow the psalmist's example. When he said, I to the hills will lift mine eyes. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. And Father, on this day of remembrance, we think of the ongoing conflicts that are happening in this world, in your world, Lord. We bring before you, Lord, the the situation and, and fighting in Israel. May your peace fall upon that place. May peace be, Lord, what we fight for. And may it be something that we can know in this day. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. We're going to turn in God's Word now to read from our Scripture reading this morning, which is Exodus chapter 2. And we're just going to read a couple of verses together this morning. Um, It's Exodus chapter 2, reading from verse 23 uh, down to verse 25. Um, That will appear on the screens uh, before you. Um, It will also be in the Pew Bibles that are uh, before you as well, about page 46. Um, So that's Exodus chapter 2, reading from verse 23 down to verse 25. And this morning we're we're thinking about the God who who remembers. Um, And what a what a topic to think on on a day like this. But let's listen to God's word just now from Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Amen. May God bless us the reading of His Word this morning. Friends, isn't it true that we live in a day that just seems to be one crisis after another? The world just seems to be full of crisis at the moment. You can have economic crisis to political crisis. We've got climate crisis We've got the cost of living crisis, and in the midst of all of that, we um, remember uh, not too long ago the ongoing pandemic that we had to endure, and we still know the repercussions of that in the infrastructures of, um, of our country and our society. And in the midst of all that as well, we've had conflict between Russia and Ukraine, and even still we have ongoing conflict within Israel and Gaza, and we see just this sense of crisis becoming something that we just become used to. Isn't that a sad statement to make? That actually crisis seems to be normal for us now. That that kind of living in fear and living with anxiety has been normalized. It's just something that we're so used to. 
And this morning, as we read from God's Word, I I pray that actually we will learn something from the Scriptures that will teach us as God's people um, how we respond to such problems. The verses that we read this morning, although there's only a couple, um, there's only a few, the verses that we've read this morning, um, the, the opening, um, are, the, are the conclusion for um, the verses that have um, gone before it. So when Exodus begins, we have um, these statements, the, the kind of overview and history that, that's given of, of what's happened, and what we could call the, the three verses that we've read this morning together is the conclusion, um, but also it's helping us to look forward to what's about to come. That actually this is a really important um, part of Exodus. It's kind of like the hinge that the the, the past and the future are held um, together by. That God's people have um, endured heartbreak. They've endured terrible circumstances and situations. They've been in oppression. They've been in slavery. And actually the verses that we've read though that even though that's still what they know, they're still in slavery as we've read those verses, that actually there's optimism that's beginning to arise as we, we read them. There's, these verses are meant to bring us to a place of expectancy, that God is about to move. And that is a wonderful thing to know. There are five points that are important in our verses that we've read this morning, and we're going to focus, um, because I want to be a good Presbyterian this morning. We're going to focus on, on three of them. Um, uh, but the, the first two um, kind of tell us about the context and, and what's happened up until this moment. We've read that the, that the king um, of, of Egypt um, has, has died. Um, and this was the Pharaoh. This was the king who sought um, after Moses. Um, he wanted Moses' life. He wanted Moses, um, he wanted Moses dead. And we also read that there's been a, a change in, in government as well, that the, the structures of governance have, have changed as well. Um, that, but that doesn't bring a change to Israel's, the people of Israel, the Israelites. It doesn't bring a change to their situation. Actually, it just means that it continues. That they knew slavery, there's a change in government, and they continue to know slavery. These two first points are, help us um, understand the context uh, of the conclusion of what has just gone before it. That God's people have been living in Egypt for a long time since the days of Joseph. And they've gone from being a people of great favor. When Joseph lived, um, the, 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 the God's people knew such favor from the kings or the pharaohs of, of Egypt and the people of Egypt. But as the years went on, the favor decreased and actually the oppression increased. And that was because the the, the people of God, the the Israelites, grew to such a huge number that that actually the the Egyptians began to fear them, that they might be able to overthrow as such as the, the multitude of the Israelites. And what that meant was that the pharaohs or the kings, the people in power, decided to put oppression on them and to put them into slavery so that they wouldn't be able to kick out against the power of Egypt. God's people were being dealt with so harshly by the Egyptians. The hatred for God's people even got to the point where the midwives were commanded to kill all the male children in that day. They were to chuck them into a river. And this is where we come across Moses, because Moses' mom decides to 
put Moses in a, in a basket, and, and in God's sovereignty and God's providence, in the amazing plan of God, Moses ends up floating down the river and ends up at the, the feet of the Pharaoh's daughter. And as Moses grows up, he becomes a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Such was the providence and sovereignty, such was the plan of God. And when Moses is older, he's known what it's like to live in the palace. He's known all the, the kind of the luxury that comes with that. But as he goes about one day, he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite, one of Moses' own people. And Moses responds and he strikes the Egyptian and he kills him. And he runs away in fear of his life. And Moses, when he's away, he, he meets, um, he meets his, um, what goes on to become his father-in-law. Uh, and he ends up looking after his father-in-law's sheep. But as all this is going on, God's people are still in chains. They're still in slavery. They're still knowing hardship and oppression and, and fear. And this is all the backdrop of what is going on when we read our verses this morning. It's no wonder that it's entitled in the ESV that God hears Israel's groanings. They knew pain, they knew suffering. And like I said, like a good Presbyterian sermon this morning, we're going to look at three points. The people of Israel prayed, God remembers, and that God is interested in His people. Donald Caskey lived between the 22nd of May up until the 27th of December and was born and brought up on Isla. He was a Church of Scotland minister and he served as a minister in Gretna before becoming the minister of the Scots Kirk in Paris in 1938. And he is known and remembered for helping and aiding Allied soldiers escape from occupied France during the Second World War. After the German invasion of France in 1940 happened, Caskey ignored the advice of the Church of Scotland. He was encouraged to flee and to come home in safe passage, but he decided to stay with his people in Paris. And as he stays there, he ends up traveling to Marseille which was at that time under a regime of German occupancy. In Marseille, Caskey established a refuge for stranded Brits using his contacts through the local churches and worked in partnership with the U.S. consul. And then he ended up working alongside the British intelligence as well. And he helped more than 500 Allied service personnel to escape to Britain. Caskey was eventually arrested but was later released. He was expelled from Marseille and went to Grenoble, where he then endured and, and had to live under the, 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 the Gestapo. They were residing in that place, and they began to keep a really close eye on him. In 1943, he was arrested again and was sentenced to death. However, a German army padre managed to get his life spared. And Caskey spent the remainder of the war in a prisoner of war camp. But I want to jump back to the beginning of Caskey's life. Because he could have run away. There was chance for him to flee and to go home to safety. But he stayed. And as the 
people of Paris and his flock waited with bated breath for the invasion of the German army. He is remembered and um, um, people remember him preaching a Sunday before that happened from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And that was true for Kasky, and he knew it throughout his life. And it's true for us as well. But I want to see from God's word this morning that it was true, even though that psalm hadn't been written yet, the truth of that psalm was still relevant and true for God's people as they lived in Egypt. So what happens in the midst of their suffering and slavery and oppression, what do God's people do? What, what can we do, friends, but pray? It's often the last thing that we think of. It's often the thing that we, you know, we, we've tried and we've exhausted every other avenue. And then we go, well, you know, I'll try that prayer thing. If only it was the first response that we had. Imagine if it was the first thing that we decided to do as God's people was to pray in the midst of hardship. The context for God's people is one of pain, one of misery, one of hardship and heartache. And the two verbs that we see um, being used to describe God's people and their situation was that Israel groaned and they cried out for help. We see that the, in, even in these short um, verses, we see the double use of the word slavery as well. Don't miss the importance of that. It's meant to indicate and intensify the situation that God's people found themselves in. Friends, your groanings matter to God. But not only do they just matter, they're heard. God hears the groanings of our hearts. Many people know about Duncan Campbell, who was mightily used in the 1949 Lewis revival. But what many people don't know is about his involvement in the First World War. In 1918, he served in the British Cavalry Division and was involved in one of the last charges during which his, shot, his horse was shot and Campbell fell to the ground and was terribly injured. This is the man who would go on to being used in, by God through the faith mission and through um, the Lewis revival. And actually, before all that happened, he's charging on this horse. His horse is shot and he falls off the horse and he's terribly injured. And whilst lying on the ground thinking he was about to die, this is what he says. In the providence of God, another remarkable thing happened in my life. Campbell recalls that the Canadian horses were called out to a second charge. And when charging over that bloody battlefield, a horse's hoof struck me in the spine. That horse's hoof struck me so hard, I must have groaned, because that groan registered in the mind of that young trooper. And when the charge was over, he was among the few who came back. And I tell you, there were very few. But he came right to where I lay, dismounted, lifted me up, and threw me across the horse's back. He took the reins again and galloped to the nearest casualty clearing station. Now it was on that horse's back that the glorious miracle happened. I remembered a prayer of Murray McShane, 
And I cried, God, oh God, make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. And God did it in that very moment. God swept into my life. And I knew in a matter of minutes an experience I did not think was possible this side of heaven. I was healed. Physically, no. But spiritually, yes. I think it's amazing that a groan from Campbell was ultimately what went on to save his life. When we read in Exodus about the people of God groaning, what it's meant to indicate is that in that moment, they began to pray. They hadn't been praying up until that moment. But in that moment, they begin to pray. And it's so easy for us, and I may, maybe even we still do it, thinking that, that oh, if I just keep on going, maybe this will eventually pass. But actually, friends, we're, we're called to be a people who pray. God's people here in Exodus waited for a new king. He came, but it didn't help. Their slavery continued. They cried out to God for help. They prayed and God heard. Why? Because prayer makes a difference. There was an American soldier in the Korean War who was hiding behind a bunker. And as soldiers were falling to bullets, his commander told him to go and rescue the wounded soldiers from the ground. But this order, as it was given, the, the soldier, he didn't move. He, he stayed where he was and kept looking at his watch. Another two times, the commander shouted at him, saying, get over there and go and help the wounded soldiers. And still the soldier sat there just looking at his watch. Just as the commander was about to lose his temper, the soldier got up and ran fearlessly over the, over the trenches towards the battlefield, rescuing many of the wounded soldiers lying on the ground. And after the battle, the commander asked the soldier his reason for not obeying initially. The soldier told him that, my mother told me when I was leaving for war that she'd be praying daily for me at a certain time. I was merely waiting for that time to come. See, friends, the young soldier felt safe under the prayers of his mother. Prayer is powerful. Prayer works. Prayer needs to be a response. And often our prayers, they're not even words that we say. They're groanings from our hearts. And what I find fascinating about the Campbell story is that not only did that Canadian soldier hear Campbell, but he remembered Campbell's groanings. And it's like an image of what we read in Exodus chapter 2, that God doesn't just hear the groanings of his people, but he is moved. And this brings us to our second point, that God remembers. God heard the groans of his people, the cry for rescue from slavery, verse 24, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. This is the most amazing a most mind-blowing kind of truth that we read here. And, and I love that, that, that the way that the writer describes it for us is a way that we will be able to understand it. But we can take it maybe a step too far, though, because when we read that God remembers, what's happening there is the writer is using human language to help us understand what's taking place here. This doesn't mean that God had forgotten. God cannot forget. It's impossible for God to forget. He can't forget. The only things he forgets in his mercy are our sins. He remembers them no more. Praise the Lord. 
But in this moment, God, it's not like God had forgotten about his people. That's not what this is saying. It wasn't like God was sitting there at his desk in a study in heaven and, you know, he's doing whatever he's doing, and all of a sudden he thinks, oh man, the people of Israel, the Israelites, I've forgotten all about them. I've only just remembered because I've heard something about them. That's not what he's saying. It's impossible for God to forget. What we read is that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what that means is that God remembers his commitment to his people, not in terms of um, recollection, but in terms of application that God applied his covenant with his people. And I love that, that the covenant that we read about here is initially made with Abraham, but what we see is this continued faithfulness to God's people generation upon generation. We see Isaac being included. We see Jacob being included as well. And this is talking not about in terms of God, you know, all of a sudden remembering something that he'd forgotten. We all know that feeling when you're walking somewhere, or, you know, oh man, I've forgotten that feeling of dread that overcomes us. We, we remember something that we've forgotten. That's not what this is saying. It's in terms of application. This is in reference to God enacting his covenant with his people. But why now? Why now after so many generations had passed of slavery and oppression and hardship, why now? Why in this very moment? I think the answer is, is twofold and they kind of go together. Well, it's firstly because God's timing is perfect and we have to trust that. There's things that happen, situations that seem to go on, and, and, and in our human understanding, in our human minds, we, we just can't grasp why these things are taking place. But I have to believe, because the Scriptures tell me that God has a plan. Even when it doesn't make sense to me, on this side of eternity, what we're called to do is trust in Him and wait upon Him. And that's the second reason why, why now. Because the people of God moved to prayer. People of God moved. To, that, that, that's, that's what the, the language here is trying to tease out. That, that as they grown and as they cried for help, it wasn't like a continual thing. This was a new thing they did. They called out to God to move. Why now? Well, it's, yes, it's about God's perfect timing. But it's also because he heard the cries of his people. That's often the way things work when it comes to church, when it comes to faith. Prayer nearly always precedes God moving. There's times where God in his sovereignty moves in his own, his own perfect ways and power and, 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 and it just seems to happen and, and we're taken by surprise sometimes. Those suddenly moments, absolutely. But often what happens is prayer nearly always precedes God moving. Any great act, any great movement of God, what is often the, the, the catalyst or the, the beginnings of those stories? That people began to pray. For prayer is often the catalyst for the sovereign plans of God to unfold. It's not that we have to convince Him to act, but that we as His people are now in a place ready for Him, for Him to move. Yes, God, I see you have a plan. I want to be part of your will. God, would you move in power? In May 1940, things in Europe were catastrophic, both politically and in a military sense as well. Hitler had come up with this tactic that many of us maybe know about, which is called Blitzkrieg. And the way that that's translated is um, lightning war. 
And what that meant was that all the military force that he had at his disposal, that they would come against a nation with everything that they had. It was, it was like a lightning war. He, they threw everything they had against a nation to cause shock and to cause chaos as they attacked. And part of the fruit of this lightning war tactic or blitzkrieg as it's known by And part of the fruit of this was that 1.5 million soldiers, or up to 1.5 million soldiers, were um, caught and stuck at Dunkirk. A story that many of us know about. We've seen the the images, we've read the stories, we've seen the new movies about it as well. And and as they're stuck at Dunkirk, the the feeling that many of them had was that they're ultimately either waiting for, for death or imprisonment. It seemed like they were stuck. They didn't know what to do. And what happened next I find staggering. On the 23rd of May, King George VI called for a national day of prayer. And as a nation, we gathered on Sunday, May the 26th, and we prayed. And over the next few days, things happened. Hitler decided against military advice to pull back. His his military advisor said, what are you doing? We've got them. But against all um, advice, he decided to pull back. Uh, And as well, and many of us know this, the weather began to change on the English Channel as well. Some would say, that's just a coincidence. How how, how can you say that those things are a result of, of prayer? I think it's Nicky Gumbel that says, often when I pray, coincidences seem to happen. We don't believe in coincidences in this church. Many of us call them God incidences, that God is on the move. That as the people of this nation decided to pray, things happened. Some would say it's a coincidence. Others would say that when we call out to God and we cry, he hears our groans and he moves in power. What happened as the people of Israel in their day, the Israelites, what happens when they groaned and when they cried out? Ultimately, it set their freedom as a nation in motion. God remembered. And very, very briefly this morning and finally, our third point, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Another way of saying that is that God saw his people and he was concerned for them. That's what that word knew meant, that he was concerned for them. You know, friends, our God isn't a God, just a God who remembers. He's a God who is concerned for you, and he's concerned for us. And not only did God know what was going on and God saw, God ultimately in the next chapter reveals himself. He made himself known. Isn't that amazing that God has made himself knowable, that we can know him? That not only does he just know us, that he has come close and that he longs to be known by us. And he does that by declaring um, to Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am. And this is what God longs to do. He longs to reveal himself to you so that he can be involved in your life. Your groanings, the nation's groanings matter to God. Let us pray to him. He longs to be known by us. He longs to 
remember us. He longs to forget our sin through his son. And he will never forget us because of his great love. Amen.